I got help up here tonight, um, at least for the beginning. <laughs> our, our theme tonight in Capitalize is the, the most important asset that we have. Because in, if you're here for the first time in Capitalize, this whole series is about making a new start, leveraging what you have, the resource you, are, the resource you already have. Because so many people have the idea if we have more resources, we would accomplish more. But all of us have right now the resources we need to have a new start. And, and tonight I'm talking about the, the most important asset of all, which is faith. And, and we'll get into the message in just a few moments. But here at New Spring, we have a faith-building experience, and it's kind of unique, and um, sometimes it kind of, it's kind of difficult for us to even ex- explain it, because it is, it is so unique. Uh, this is my wife, Mary Alice, and she works here at New Spring, and, and one of the, one of the um, hats that she wears is Next Step Director, and part of that Next Step is Starting Point. So if you've come here to New Spring any length of time, chances are you've heard that term um, starting point. And um, Mary Alice, I know you've been with us for several years, and so if you don't mind, uh, considering the fact we're talking about faith this evening, and the starting point is just a real opportunity to build faith, uh, take a moment to kind of explain to us what starting point is. Well, as you said, starting point is very unique. Um, there are two main components to starting point, and that is exploring faith and experiencing community. Um, exploring faith is what we're talking about here. It's, it's about wherever you are in your faith journey, but particularly if you're, if you're starting out, maybe you just prayed with Mark at the end of a service, and, or maybe you still have questions, you're not even at that point yet. Or maybe you went to church years ago and you've been away, and now you're kind of coming back and you kind of feel like you're lost in the crowd and you really do have some definite questions to ask about faith or about God or about the Bible. Starting point is that small group environment where you can ask those questions and, and not that we have all the answers, but we can explore faith together. And I do think you'll find a lot of the answers you're looking for. Well, I know if I'm going to think about being part of something, I want to kind of know who is it for? Is it for me? And so if, if someone was contemplating being part of Starting Point, um, who would it be for? I mean, that's probably the best way of asking the question. Well, that's such a good question. <laughs> I want to say everybody. Y'all all say that. <laughs> no, really. It is, it's really if you're uh, starting out, if you still even have questions, you're not even at that point of trusting the Lord yet. Uh, fully, you haven't really reached that point. Or if you've, again, if you've been away for a while and you're coming back, maybe you've been away from church. A lot of people that come to Starting Point say, well, I, you know, I went to church when I was a kid. As soon as I was a teenager, I bolted and I've been away all this time. And now I'm kind of coming back and I'm, I'm not, I haven't really found my feet yet. So that's a, that's a, a good sampling of who would really enjoy Starting Point. Well, you know, when you and I met, which goes back to high school, which is a long time ago, a lot longer than we want to say, um, you know, one of the things that intrigued me about you is you always had a lot of questions, and it was sort of an interesting thing because um, we met in high school, and, and uh, in a particular class we were both in, and, and although I had church background and my father was a pastor, I really wasn't close to God. I knew a lot of information. It always intrigued me that you 
wanted to ask me a lot of questions. And the thing that was really interesting, <laughs> I'm just kind of going my mind going back to that class where we used to sit and they used to ask me all these questions. I knew the answers to them theo- theologically, but to you they were really important. And that's one of the things that really stood out to me is these things are really important to you. Uh, so I think well, that's probably one reason why I think you're so good at, at starting point is that you, you think a lot about those kinds of things that are very deep to you. But you, you do remember this in our relationship throughout all the years. Faith comes easy for you. You, you, it is, you, you just seem to be inclined or oriented toward believing, you know, and, and many times in our marriage, you know, you've reminded me of God's faithfulness. I, I on the other hand, am someone for whom faith comes hard. Um, it's a challenge for me to have faith. Uh, I'm, I'm like Reagan said, trust but verify. So I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with that a little bit. And that's just been our nature. I mean, throughout the years, it's been kind of interesting. Yeah, it's interesting so that you're I, fascinated I guess, with my questions because well, I was I fascinated what I'm with your answers. Is, what I'm getting to is this. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm getting to is this. Suppose someone like me, and, and I can remember a time when I very much wanted to believe. And this is, even goes back to childhood. I wanted to believe like my parents believed, but I wasn't sure what I believed. So what if I'm sitting here tonight and I'm saying, I'm not even sure there's a God. I mean, just I'm keeping it real here. I'd like to believe, but I'm not really sure. It, would starting point be all right for me? Yes, and, I'm, <laughs> and you're right, though. I, I love questions, and the thing that I really loved about you, and I would pitch you questions, and I always tell my starting point groups this. Um, when I was growing up, I was full of questions, and I would go to my Sunday school teacher, or, and they would usually pass me on to somebody, and they, would, they never really seemed to have answers. And when I found you that first night, and I started asking, I found out you're a pastor's son, so I figured you had all the answers. So I started asking you questions. But you, That's something <laughs> that she doesn't think anymore, by the way. <laughs> But you always had, you had a way of taking the Bible, which I was really puzzled about. And when you gave me answers, it made sense. And that's what I'm thrilled about. A starting point is it's kind of that same experience. Because we take these huge questions, and if you haven't thought of some on your own, which we will talk about in a starting point, we, we set you up because we do have a book we follow, and it uh, will kind of serve up some of those tough questions. But we're not afraid of the questions. And that's what I was always thrilled about when I met you, and, and you were stuck with me after that. Awesome. Um, but God isn't afraid of questions. He has answers. Now, it might not always satisfy us totally, but there really are answers. And the Bible really is an understandable book to a great mm-hmm. extent. It is. You know, that's the deal. I mean, I, I was just thinking about that the very thing tonight. You and I didn't talk about this, but... If you, unless you're trying to read something into the Bible, it's an easily understandable book. Now, when religion tries to read stuff into it, all of a sudden, it gets kind of crazy. Okay, two more quick questions, because I do have to speak tonight. But th- this is kind of fun. I like this. Um, how long is starting point? How long is the starting point experience? Good question. The logistics would be this. Starting point is a small group environment, about 14 to 16 people around there. We meet over in the east building. Is that east? Oh, across the parking lot, wherever east is. <laughs> I have no it's a good direction. time for you to tell them you're directionally challenged. I am very directionally challenged. I'm even left and right challenged, but that's another story. Um, in the East Building, and we have some very unique rooms that we meet in that look like living room settings. So it's not a classroom with a lectern, and, and you don't sit and fold your hands and listen. It's a conversation-style casual group. Um, it just so happens that we are starting new groups next weekend. How cool. And we meet during service time so that we can provide child care. So if you got your handy-dandy card when you came in, there is a place on there down the list on the side that says, I would be interested in being in a starting point group. Now, I know that's pretty quick coming up next weekend, but if you're interested, if you'll check that card, I will be contacting you this week and give you more details. Okay. Did I leave anything out? I don't Materials know. Materials are available at the store. Okay. So if they're interested, they just need to indicate that on the card. Now, that's not necessarily a commitment to be there. It's just if right. they're interested in information, then you right. get back with them, right? Okay, right. great. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's nice to see you.
Tonight, I want to talk to you about the most important asset you have. And, and it's, this is what is a challenge for us because as Americans, we think the most important asset we have is money. I mean, we don't say it necessarily, we wouldn't articulate it, but deep down inside, when it's all, when it comes down to it, you know, how, when we say how much is a person worth, we typically are asking how much money do they have or how much could they lay their hands on. But money is not your most important asset. In fact, tonight, even if you're stone cold broke, which some of us may be in this environment, you still have an asset that is invaluably more worth more than money. Last week, I talked to you about what I thought was a very important asset, and, and I said the people in your life, the people who are close to you, the people who have the influence in your lives, really important, the people, God places people in our lives strategically to help us get where we need to go. We talked about that last weekend. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the most important thing. You have an asset that is far more valuable than money. You have an asset within you. You have a capacity in this for this asset that is limitless, and this particular asset is so powerful, it will take you where you want to go, and more importantly, it will take you where God wants you to go. You ready? The asset is faith. Faith is huge. Uh, let me give you an example of, of how you can check this out. You can, you can do a word search on the Bible, like for instance, if you go home tonight, you want to pull this up, pull up Bible Gateway on your computer, and do a word search for the word faith. And if you like, you can just centralize your study on the Gospels, which would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four, four books of the Bible that tell the story of Jesus. And look at what Jesus had to say about faith. He was always marveling when he found it. He was disappointed when he didn't find it. And he kept telling people the value of faith. He kept saying, listen, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed, and it would, it would obey you. Jesus would say, according to your faith, it will be to you. Over and over and over. Just, just check it out. I mean, I, I'm not, not going to keep talking about this. I want to encourage you to look up faith in the Bible. Look up the Word and look at what Jesus had to say about faith. He was never impressed with talent. He didn't say, hey, Peter, did you hear her sing? I think she could be on Jerusalem Idol. I mean, he didn't do that. He, he, he didn't say, whoo, look at there, man. There's somebody who gave big money, big money. Jesus, I'm impressed with you. You gave big money. In fact, the only giver Jesus was ever impressed with was a woman who put two very small coins into the offering plate because that was all she had. God doesn't tend to look at us, our giving, based on what we give, but on what we have left. You know? Always read about some philanthropist, you know, who has billions of dollars, who gives a million dollars, and wow, we put them in the paper. But I mean, I know people who outgive those people all the time because they, they, they give in a risky kind of way. And so Jesus was never impressed with big money. He wasn't impressed with big talent. But what he was impressed with was big faith. And why is that? Because faith is what connects us to the very power of God. And faith, listen to me, this is the biggest thing I'm going to say all night, so please don't leave because I've got important things to say. But this is the most important thing I'm going to tell you this evening. The reason why faith is so important to God is it's the only thing you can give Him. You can't give Him money because you're playing with house money. All the money that you've got comes from God. You can't give God your intellect because He gave your intellect to you. You can't give God service because he gave you your body and opportunities. And those are all things that are important for us to render back to God. But the one thing, the one thing that God does not have that you can give him is your confidence and your trust. And that is why over and over and over when you pick up this book, which I believe to be the word of God, when you pick up this book from the book of Genesis to the very end of Revelation, here is God's message. The one thing God wants from us is faith. 
God wants confidence from us. So tonight, I, I prepare to talk for you, and it is so challenging for me. How do you talk about faith when the whole Bible is about faith? But what I, I, I thought about, there are five statements that I think are the most important concepts, the most important sentences that have to do with faith. And when you came in tonight, you got a little worship card, and you'll notice on the back of it, these five sentences are there, and I'm messing with you a little bit because I left out some of the words. So if you want to write these words in when we get to the sentences, you're welcome to do it. And maybe they'll be up on the iMag. But let me give you sentence number one. It is a starting point for us tonight when it comes to faith. And it's this. Trust is the basis of any important relationship. And isn't that true? Because if you're going to be close to somebody, isn't it true that you have to trust that person? And how can you be close to somebody who doesn't trust you? Isn't that a fact? I mean, trustworthiness is the basis of any relationship. And now, I know that we would, we would first of all say, well, love is the most fundamental aspect of a relationship. But I would argue that trust is even more fundamental than that. Because if you don't trust someone, you can't be close. Listen, guys, I've pastored for a lot of years. And I've, I've listened to a lot of heartbreaking stories of relationships breaking up. And one of the things that's so painful is when trust is violated, when trust is lost. Isn't that, and you, you guys have probably met people and been in experiences like that where you've talked to people. They thought they could trust somebody. And then all of a sudden that trust was shattered. That trust was lost. Well, we need to understand that when it comes to having a relationship with God, trust is the basis of that relationship. God wants us to trust him. But when you do your word search on faith in the Bible, here's one thing that you're going to keep watching over and over, and this is beautiful, and I wish I knew how to preach. This is so very important. God is continually asking us to have confidence in him because there is a reward for that confidence. In other words, God is saying, listen, the key to receiving from God is confidence in him. If we would have confidence, the Bible tells us there are rewards for people who have faith and trust in God. That's why I'm telling you that faith is so much more important than money because if you have money, you have what money can buy. If you have faith, you have what God can deliver. And who can guess what that is, right? So trust is the basis of any important relationship. So what is this trust or faith and what would it be like? Tonight, I want to take you back to the book of Genesis and I want to introduce you to a character that the Bible calls the father of faith. In other words, there was a man in the Bible who had faith as such a key component in his life that God calls him the father of the faithful, and his name is Abraham. And you can start reading about him in the book of Genesis chapter 12. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about where Abraham lived. Abraham lived in the largest city in the world, which I'm going to give you the population. It's not going to sound like very many people, but back in those days, this was, this was the booming metropolis. His city had 65,000 people in it. And it was the biggest city in the world. And it was right on the coast. It, was where it had, had a great port where, where they did a lot of business in, the, in, the, in, in, in you know, sea travel. And then it was also where, where major roads came together. It was where business happened. It would have been the New York City of its day. And Abraham lived there, and he was part of it. If you read the story of Abraham and read between the lines, you can figure out that he is a very bright guy. And I'm guessing that Abraham, if he could have chosen or would have chosen, he could have been in Ur, which was the New York City of its time. And he probably could have been a stockbroker. He could have been a trader. He could have been a businessman. He could have driven to work in a Bentley and worn a nice suit. 
Um, and that's kind of where he was. I want to pick up the story here in Genesis chapter 12. Listen to this. The Lord said to Abraham, and I want to show you two components here of faith. We'll talk about them in, in, in order. Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land where I will show you. If you want to know what faith is in following God, it is those two aspects. Let's talk about the first one. This is the second sentence that I have for you. Faith calls for us to leave the comfortable, and I thought about this expression a whole lot before I gave it, and the soul-numbing. You ready for this? If Abraham had stayed in Ur, his body would have been engaged and his mind would have been engaged, but his soul would have become numb. How many of us does that resonate with tonight? What we're doing in life, it engages our body, it engages our mind. But listen to me. You are more than your body and you're more than your mind. You have within you a never-dying soul. There's a part of you, there's an invisible part of you that is never going to die. You have a part of you physically that is temporary but you have a part of you that is eternal. And what God called Abraham to do was to leave behind the part of his life that was comfortable and soul-numbing. I think he could have stayed in Ur the rest of his life. And he could have done business. I think he would have been successful. But the part of him that needed to walk with God and know God and experience purpose. I, I, I talk to people all the time that are very well off in the ways of the world. They have reached the top stratosphere when it comes to income. And their bodies are engaged and their minds are engaged. And yet, not all, but many of them are very depressed people because they don't know what their purpose is. They're in the comfortable and the soul-numbing. If you walk with God, he will always ask you to leave the comfortable and the soul-numbing. It was a few years ago, we used the expression, getting out of our comfort zone. When you set out to follow God, he will get you out of your comfort zone. He will get you to leave. He said to Abraham, listen, if we're going to go where I, wanna, where I want you to go, you can't, you can't do it here. You're going to have to leave. And I'm not saying that God is saying to you to leave your hometown. I'm certainly not saying that God is saying for you to leave your profession. It's certainly not saying that God wants you to leave your family. But what God does want us to do is to leave the comfortable, the routine, where nothing great, no, no, no risk-taking for God is happening the comfortable, and the soul-numbing. Sentence number three, faith calls us to set out for the unknown. Think about this. God said, Abraham, I want you to leave what you're comfortable with, and I want you to go to a place I'm not going to tell you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a life of faith. Faith is all about God taking us away from what we are comfortable with and getting us to set out for a life, for a destination, that we're unsure of. <laughs> I remember when I was growing up, there was an expression, and still hear it every once in a while, but it was real popular when I was a kid. People would say, my faith is a private matter. Every once in a while, a politician would say that. My faith is a private matter. You want me to parse that for you? Faith sometimes is a synonym for religion, and religion can be divisive. And so there are people who would say, my faith is a private matter. In other words, I don't talk about my religion because religion divides and I'm not going to talk about it. So, and, and by the way, if all I had was religion, I wouldn't talk about it either. I just let it go. But I want to tell you something. You can't be quiet about faith. 
Let me tell you, if you've ever left what you were comfortable and what was numbing your soul, and you set out for a place that God was going to take you to, you can't be quiet about that. I don't want to talk about myself tonight, but the only life that I really know is my own life. And And just like I said to Mary Alice a moment ago, faith comes hard for me. I am not a person of great faith. I struggle with faith. But I can tell you there have been several experiences in my life when I set out for the unknown and I left what I was comfortable with. And, and you know what? All you got to do is just take me into one of these stories and you can't hardly shut me off because it's what my whole life has revolved around some of these things. When I was 16 years old, my plan for life, and man, I hadn't deviated for it all the time I was growing up. I was going to be an attorney and go into politics. Can you imagine that? That's what I wanted to do. I had thought that's what my skill set led toward. I'd, I loved politics. I still love politics. I pastored a Baptist church for many years. That's more politics than I wanted. <laughs> when I was 16 years old, and I'm not going to say God wrote it in the sky, but he made it very clear to me that God wanted me to leave what I was comfortable with and go to a place that he would show me. And God started calling me into the ministry as a junior in high school. And I can tell you, you know, I speak in seminaries now every once in a while, and, and young men will come up to me, and they'll say, or young women will come up, how can we know if God is calling us? And I'm thinking, man, I knew real clearly God was calling me. I just didn't want to do what he wanted me to do. Man, I rebelled against that. I wanted my plan. I can even remember telling God, listen, God, here's what I'll do, and I'll be an attorney, but if my church ever asks me to preach, I'll preach. How's that? <laughs> Negotiating with God's a zero-sum game. It's not going to happen. But I can remember very clearly when I made that decision and I said, hey, you know what? This is what God has asked me to do. I'm comfortable being an attorney. I think I'll get wealthy. I think I'll, I'll, think I'll you know, hopefully be successful. And, and that's where I think my skill set is going. And I already had you know, some scholarship stuff and think good things happening in that direction. But that's not what God is asking me to do. And, and, I, and all of a sudden I decided my life was going to be oriented in a whole different direction. And I had no idea where I was going to wind up. But it's been fun. It's so funny. We have a lot of attorneys who attend New Spring. I remember meeting with one a, few, a, a little while back, and he, when he came here, he wasn't sure. He, he believed real faithfully, and, but he, he was talking with me, and he's just a great, wonderful guy and, and a great lawyer himself, and, and he said to me, he said, you know, Mark, he said, when I first came here, I wasn't sure what I believed, but he said, you don't preach sermons. You give closing arguments. And I thought about that. You know what? All those things that I wanted to do, I don't do them in a court of law. I stand up every week and I present a case for God. And, and, and I'm arguing for life and death and eternity. All because there was a time in my life when I said, okay, I'm willing to leave what I'm comfortable with. I have no idea where God is taking me. That takes me to the second time in my life where I did that. I told God when I was in college, I'd go any place but Kansas. And I wasn't joking either. <laughs> For me, as a Texan, to think about spending my adult life in Kansas, I'd never been to Kansas. It was a wretched prejudice. And I remember I was in Texas. Mary Alice and I just built a new home. We were, you know, probably six miles from where we went to high school. I was serving my home church. I was in the balmy state of Texas. And I knew that God had called me to communicate, but surely he would not ask me to leave Texas. And I can't tell you, it's a long story. It took three years for God to, you know, keep twisting my arm like this. But I remember the very first time I came up and spoke in this church, which was September of 1984. And I came in here and I fell in love with Wichita. And and by the way, I still am. 
fell in love with this church. And I can still remember that day as Mary Alice and I and our two boys at the time, we were four and two, they're now almost 29 and 27. But I can remember what it was like to leave everything that was comfortable to me and go to a place that God had. You know what? I didn't hardly know anybody here in this church. I knew absolutely nothing about living in Kansas. I did not know you had to pay property tax on vehicles. And I still think that's insane, but that's another matter. I cannot imagine being anyplace else. My heart is here. My adult life has been spent in this church. Because there was a place where God said, hey, Mark, I want you to leave what you're comfortable with and the mind-numbing, the soul-numbing, because you've reached a place where you've got a ceiling because you're not going to get what I want you to get unless you go where I want you to go. So I want you to leave the comfortable and the soul-numbing, and I want you to go where I'm going to show you. As leader of this church now for 25 years, there were two times when I pushed all the chips to the middle of the table and bet everything on God. You see this building that you're in this evening? This worship center? A lot of us are new to New Spring. I think sometimes people have the idea that this was always a big church. And it was a big church that came out here. Do you know how many people met on a weekend when we started dreaming of this and started moving toward it? About 500. We were landlocked on South Hillside with 4.3 acres of land. And we, I remember when I started pastoring, we were at about 400 who came on a weekend, and we grew to 500, then 600, and as we were growing on the weekend, parking got tight. <laughs> and I started looking for land in 1991. But I can tell you what, when we got to the place in 1995 where we bought the land and we started talking about moving out here, it was a challenge. I remember one time thinking to myself as I was just analyzing what was going on, I thought we have about 5% of our congregation that's radically ready to to relocate. We have about 10% who think it's probably a good idea. We have about 30% that are probably going to just go along if, if this is the direction of the church and you can sort of fill in the blank for the other percentages. I can remember the only time I ever typed out my resignation. It was so down, and it was so controversial, and it was so difficult. And, and after all, the land that we bought, I mean, God did a miracle. And if you, you know, like I say, all you have to do is get me wound up, and I'll tell you about the miracle that this land represents. And, but even so, we were talking about moving 12 miles. And in, and in 1995, when we bought this land, this was, a, this was farmland in the middle of no place. And a lot of the people thought, Mark wants us to move to Missouri. Do you realize that when we made that decision, here's the deal. Here's the reason why I know that people looked at me as if I were crazy. I mean, to go someplace and to relocate, go 12 miles to the middle of farmland, and, 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 and all we have here is like five, maybe 600 people by now. And in those days, we had absolutely everything paid off, and we had three-quarters of a million nearly dollars sitting in the bank. We were totally comfortable. We could have been there forever. And in the eight years that it took us from the moment we, we, when we started thinking about it and praying about it till we finally moved in on May 23rd, 1999, listen to me, it was always impossible until the Tuesday before we moved in. Last week, over 4,000 people worshipped in New Spring.
I'm just telling you here today, you can't be quiet about faith. If you've ever left the comfortable and the soul-numbing, and you've been willing to go to a place that God wants to show you, there is a promise on the other side. There is a blessing on the other side. And here, let me just tell you this. And I'm going to tell you about one more experience in a moment. You could ask me, Mark, you must be a very courageous person. I am not a courageous person. I am a fearful person. If, if I'm not afraid, I'll be afraid of the fact that I'm not afraid of what I should be afraid of. That's how bad I am. Let me just tell you something. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's what you're willing to do when you are afraid. I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> Some friends were showing me a picture of me back in 1985. And I looked at me now and I looked at me then and I thought, that's what pastoring will do for you. <laughs> I never risked like I did in 2004. Because by this time we had over 1,000, almost 1,100 people here who worshiped on a weekend. But we weren't, we weren't reaching people outside our walls. And one more time, we as a church pushed all the chips to the middle of the table and we bet on God and we said, hey, we're going to become the kind of church that reaches people. And yeah, it was difficult. And we didn't, you know, I was just talking to a pastor friend this week in Tennessee and I was talking to him about what God has done for us as a church and I was trying to encourage him because they're going through a similar process. And I said, listen, I, I, I set out for the place God wanted to take us, but I didn't understand where it was going to be when we all started out. Now, five years later, I look and I've learned so much along the way. But there came a time when God said, hey, you got to leave what's comfortable and soul-numbing, and you have to be willing to go to the place that I'm going to show you. All you have to do is start me talking about any of those life-changing experiences that I had, and I will keep you there for two hours. A church here in town, a great church, is going through transition, and I remember last March, the pastor asked me if I'd come out and talk to all the leadership team about the transition. Guys, I usually preach about 35, 40 minutes at most. I talked for two solid hours in a it felt like five minutes. If you've ever done something by faith, you cannot be quiet about it. You cannot say, my faith is a private matter. By the way, you will not be quiet about what you believe in. For some people, you know, their faith is in money. They will tell you about it. They will talk about money all the time. A lot of people's faith is in entertainment and sports. They'll talk about it all the time. But if you have faith in God, you cannot sit on it. Statement number three, I love this. Faith calls us to set out for the unknown. Number four, statement four, to God, faith isn't as much about the destination as it is about the journey. I know that may sound a little bit existential, but that's just a fact. See, here's the thing. I think a lot of times when, when those of us who are Christian and maybe who grew up in church, when we hear about the will of God, it's almost like Jesus has sealed envelopes and passes them out to each one of us. And our mission is in there. You know, I'm going to open up my envelope and find out what God's will is for my life. Now listen, when Jesus was on the earth, is that what he did? No, no. He just said to people, follow me, follow me. God does not want you to find the Holy Grail. He does not want you to perform some sort of service for him. What God wants you to do is to trust him and to walk with him. Listen to me. I, I, I understand very clearly there is nothing that I can do for God that he couldn't do for himself just like that. For instance, I mean, I, I'm talking for God tonight, but how pathetic. If God wanted to, he could send an angel in here to talk to you in terms that, you know, I, I can't even stand to watch one of my messages because to me, I just stumble around and fumble around. 
God, if he wanted to, he could bring somebody, he could bring an angel in here to talk to you in ways that I couldn't even dream of. And anything that you and I do, whether we're talking about giving money or serving or giving our time and our energies, if God wanted to, he could choose angels to do it. But why does he let us do it? He lets us do it because he wants to work with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to spend days with us. Maybe somebody's here tonight and you're saying, Mark, I'm still struggling to dial it in. What does it mean? When you, when you talk about the journey and having faith in God, what would it look like? I want to take you to another scripture because in Genesis we have the story of Abraham where God said, Abraham, I want you to leave what you're comfortable with and I want you to go to the place where I'm going to show you. I want to take you to the book of Romans because now here we are in the New Testament and God is talking about Abraham. And one thing I've always loved, I can remember speaking on this text when I was a teenager. God says that Abraham did three things, and to me, these three things really communicate what faith is. So let's just go through them real, real quickly here, because I am way out of time, all right? Here is verse 18. Here's the first one. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. That's what faith is. When everything is hopeless, you believe anyway. I, I think of it this way. It's like coming to a wall and believing God can make a door. In this particular case, God had told Abraham that he was going to have a son, even though he was past childbearing years. And the, his body said that he was too old for it to happen, but God had made him a commitment. And Abraham, even though it was hopeless, he believed anyway. The second thing is in verse 20. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise asking cautiously skeptical questions. This is going to be a little controversial. And I'm going to do my best to say it in a way because I, I don't want to cause anyone pain unnecessarily, but i got to go here. It is perfectly fine to approach God with questions and things that we don't understand as long as our attitude is wanting to get close to him. But all my life, I've run into people that ask questions of God as if to say, God, if you've passed my test, if you answer all my questions, if you prove to me that you're a good God, because I don't understand why bad things happen to good people, so I don't believe in you, but if you, were to, if you were to pass muster with me, if you were rise to my level, my standard of what I think good is, I will accept you. Guys, we need to remember, we're so accustomed to you know, living in a consumer-oriented society. God is not trying to get our business. The test is not on God to measure up to our expectations. The test is on us to see whether we can have faith. And the question is not, does God's goodness measure up to what I think is good? The question is, can I have faith and confidence in him? And the thing about Abraham is he had questions. I mean, if you read his story, he wanted to know. There was stuff he couldn't figure out. He told God when stuff didn't make any sense to him. But the thing that I think is really important for us to understand is Abraham wanted to get close to God. When he asked questions of God, it wasn't like, well, God, prove yourself to me. It was God like, God, I can't figure you out, but I want to. God, I don't know what you're trying to get through to me, but I want to know. God, I'm not really sure who you are and what you're like, but I really want to know you. God can always deal with questions like that. Third thing, verse 21, he was sure that God would make good on what he said. Some of us have been in, in churches and religious cultures that had the idea that faith is just believing something enough to make it happen. In other words, I want a new Mercedes. I believe I'm going to get a new Mercedes. 
That's not faith. Because God hadn't promised me a Mercedes. At least that I've found yet. But God has promised me a lot of things. He's promised me eternal life. He's promised me he'll never leave me. He's promised me that he'll supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He has promised me those things. And faith is just believing that whatever God has promised you, when the time is right, you're going to have it. It's not about the destination as much as it is about the journey. And finally, I, I, I thought this was, this was so important to end here. Because let me just tell you something, and, and I've been honest with you. I always try to be honest with you guys. I want you to know you're not following a super saint. I struggle with the same stuff you struggle with. My issue is on my faith walk, I screw up a lot. Oh, Lord knows. I've started out to have faith before and said, God, I'm just going to be confident. 30 minutes later, I'm biting my nails. Or how many times have I said, God, I'm going to get this right in my life. I'm going to deal with this issue, and it's never going to be there in my life anymore. And God, I'm not going to get angry again and say some kind of cutting remark. And the next thing I know before I realize it, somebody cuts me off in traffic, and I'm... You know what I'm saying? And worse, and worse. You, you know, here's what I'm inclined to think. God... I bet you're giving up on me because I can't be a man of faith. I want to be, but I keep failing. You ready for sentence number five? It's expected that you'll stumble along the way. Just don't abandon the quest. We said Abraham is considered the father of the faithful. Read his story. It's like two steps forward, one step back. I mean, here is a guy that just keeps stumbling. I mean, you know, and, and you can read a story, and I don't have time, I'm out of time tonight. But, I mean, you know, all these years passed, and they weren't able to have a baby, and, and, and Sarah goes to him and says, hey, maybe you're not going to have the baby with me. Maybe you just take my, take my servant girl and sleep with her, and maybe something will happen, and that'll be the son that God has promised. And it happened, and it was devastating, and even still to this day, the conflict that's in the world is because of Abraham failing. That was a huge failure. I'm not going to lay it at Abraham's doorstep because he didn't understand what he was doing, but millions of people have died needlessly because of that failure and the conflict that that produced eventually. Here is a bold man of faith. He and his wife, Sarah, his wife Sarah, was really hot, and they go into this place, and Abraham's scared to death that they're going to kill him and take his wife. She was 65. I'll tell you what, she must have been sung. <laughs> they were aging a little differently back then. Here's this bold man of faith. Here's a man of great faith saying, Sarah, you know what? I think they're going to kill me when we go in here. And so, listen, when we go in here, you just tell them that you're my sister. Don't tell them you're my wife. And, man, if God hadn't straightened things out, Sarah would have been carted off to a harem. And I mean, it would just you think about all the stuff that. All I'm saying is this, guys Abraham messed up a lot, but he never went back to Ur. See what I'm saying? You and I are going to fail. When we start trying to follow God, we're going to fail. We're going to mess up. But the important thing is not to go back to the place where it's just comfortable and soul-numbing. The important thing is to keep following.
following God. And if you fall and you do something wrong, get up and tell God you're sorry for it. Ask him for his help and get back on the road again. Stay in there. Because when it's all said and done, the story of your and my life, actually the story of our eternity is all going to come down to the times that we trusted God. And we left the comfortable and the soul-numbing and we set out for the unknown. That'll be what tells the story of your life and my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your teaching from your word. I pray that you'll help us all to leverage the faith that we have, to realize that we have faith already. It's just acting on what, what we know to be true. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will personalize this message for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just pray for another 30 seconds or so. Did you know that eternal life and heaven come about when someone puts confidence in Jesus? Religion says it's about joining a church or performing these rituals, but the Bible says that eternal life is obtained when we place confidence in Jesus. That's how big this is. And that's why over and over and over the Bible says, believe and you will be saved. It could be someone here tonight and you would say, Mark, I'm not really sure I'm going to heaven when I die or I'm not really sure I have a relationship with God. Did you know you could be certain about that if you just put confidence in Jesus? Because the Bible gives you God's promise on this. And the people that put confidence in Jesus asked him for eternal life. And, and they did it in different ways. The thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And there was one guy that just said, I believe. And people have said various things. But really what they were after was they were just asking Jesus for a relationship with God. And you and I have an opportunity for that right now. You say, Mark, I, I just never realized it just boiled down to something so simple. But it, it's exactly what God wants. Because remember, that's the only thing you can give him. Would you be willing to give him your confidence tonight and begin a relationship that 10 trillion years from now you'll be glad you did? I'm going to pray a prayer with you. These aren't magic words. Like I said, you can use your own words if you wish. But I'm going to pray a prayer that calls out to God. And I'm going to pray it slowly so you can think about it because the important thing is not the words you say. It's what you mean in your heart. I want to make sure that you really want to say these things to God. So I'm going to pray real slowly. But if you'd like to pray with me, Let's do it. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I agree that I cannot save myself. But I believe Jesus died for me. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And God, tonight I'm putting all my confidence in Jesus. I'm not trusting my religion. I'm not trusting my good works. I am trusting Jesus alone. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for making me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. And I know it happened quickly. Because of that, I prepared a packet for you. If you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. There's some cool stuff in here and DVDs. That kind of like take this further so that you'll know for sure what you just did will not cost you anything. I just need you to do one thing if you want this. If you just prayed to receive Christ, you can take your card. All you got to do is put your name and address on there and check the box that you prayed with me. You can drop this in the offering bag. I'll mail it to you this week. 
if any of you are like me and you don't like to wait for anything, you don't have to. You, you can get this tonight. If you just prayed to receive Christ, you can take this home with you tonight. I'm going to point right behind the camera operators in the lobby. There are two areas, straight out to the middle, called Guest Services and New Spring Store. And you can just take this card back there and say, I prayed with Mark and give him this. And uh, they'll, let's take this home tonight with you, okay? All right. Hey, um, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and receive the offering. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for those who are watching uh, on, online tonight, being part of our experience online. We appreciate you guys being part of us too. God bless.